Good morning. In the weeks to come, we're going to be walking through the faith of a number of the patriarchs and matriarchs of the faith. Uh, Hebrews 11 is just this who's who, right, of the people of God. And the culmination of Hebrews 11 is, you might guess it, it's Hebrews 12. Uh, and Hebrews 12, right at the beginning, says this to us. Therefore, since we have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, or the author and perfecter of our faith. I used to imagine this, this scene in Hebrews like a giant race. Like as growing up, this is what I pictured, that, that, that our life is this giant track events, um, that we're in a huge stadium, um, and, and we're, we're running a race, uh, and we're throwing aside everything that uh, would entangle us, any extra baggage holding us down, we're avoiding sin uh, that would ensnare us, and we're running, and every eye in the stadium is on me, <laughs> running the race, and I'm angling for the finish line, I'm trying to run with endurance, uh, and of course, in the heavenly stands are the cloud of witnesses. That's how I read it. Probably sitting on actual clouds, uh, like in Happy Gilmore, when he looked up in his friend Chubbs and the alligator. If you haven't seen it, I'm sorry. Um, it makes no sense. Abraham Lincoln was there, I think. Um, but I'm, I'm, and I'm, not even, I'm not even sure who I imagined was in the cloud of witnesses. Uh, probably angels. Uh, maybe some of these heroes of the faith. Probably my grandparents. Um, and, and my great-grandparents, they were all there to witness me, cheering me on. Um, and then most importantly, of course, at the finish line uh, was Jesus, waiting there with his arms outstretched, cheering and waiting to embrace me uh, to celebrate that I made it. He's there, the author, the perfecter of my faith. Uh, it's all for him after all. And what I realized as I matured, as I, as I began to actually uh, read and understand God's word a little more, um, is that Christianity get this, is not a movie about me. It's not. There, there are no grandstands uh, for me. Rather, the cloud of witnesses, they are not witnessing my race. They are witnessing to me. They are testifying to me about their race, saying, look at my life. I trusted in unseen realities about Jesus and God was faithful. He was with me. I was bloodied. Some of us were killed. Some of us never saw the fulfillment of the promises of God that we longed for on the earth, but our faith endured. The goodness of God, the, the promised atonement that would come with the Messiah, we trusted in that. Life was hard, but now, even now, by faith, we still live. And so throughout this series, the cloud of witnesses is gonna testify to us. As, as we run the race, the testimony of God's faithfulness to them will shout to us, endure, carry on. The Lamb of God is worthy of your suffering. He's with you in your pain. Abraham's gonna talk to us. Abraham's gonna say, there's a better country than this world. I found it now. Sarah, his wife, will tell us, your life may feel like a dead end that you may feel like you have little legacy to speak of, but just wait, the eternal heritage of the Lord's family is everlasting. 
Moses is gonna tell us, you wouldn't believe of the riches that Pharaoh had. Oh, but what a measly drop in the bucket compared to what is now mine in Christ. Testimony after testimony will come. And why? Every once. So, so that we'll hold on, so that we'll endure. When what we hope for is unseen, they're gonna remind us it's real. So hold on. And so will we listen to them? This is our, our challenge. Romans, Romans 15 it tells us about their testimony as well. It says, for whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction so that we may have hope through endurance and through the encouragement from the scriptures. So buckle up, or as my wife says, you can't say buckle up now without saying buckle up, buttercup. Uh, it's gonna be fun. Um, and, and Lawson started us uh, last week in Hebrews 11, hitting verses one and two uh, to just send us down the path. Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen, for by this our ancestors were improved or were approved. And so this is, this is, he's setting us up. This is the math of life. This is the math of faith. The humanistic math of the world says, be good plus work hard plus pursue happiness equals a blessed life. Uh, but the author of Hebrews, he, he's, he's not, he, doesn't, he doesn't buy into that math. He's not even into like the stuff that came before Common Core. Uh, he's going like way back. He, he, he's saying future hope plus belief in unseen realities plus the life of faith plus endurance equals the blessed life. The life that pleases God. This is the blessed life, the life of faith. It's not just a faith that acknowledges uh, that the unseen realities are true, but the life of faith is one that banks their entire being on these realities. So like a good attorney, he, the author of Hebrews is, is gonna bring forth this cloud of witnesses who, to testify that this is true. And so to start, he goes all the way back, almost all the way to the beginning. And I think it's curious that to show us the faith of our fathers and mothers, we start not with the first man, by faith, Adam. We don't get that. Uh, not with the first woman, by faith, Eve. We don't get that. Sadly, there wasn't a lot of faith exercised um, in, the, in, our, in their story. Um, and we don't even start with the third person, by faith Cain. In fact, we, we, get a, we get a lot of Cain, but we don't get by faith Cain. Now, we're three people into the human race, and we're 0 for 3 on faith. Would, would anyone on the earth walk by faith? Would anyone fear God? And so now we get to meet human number four, Abel. And so what did Abel do. By faith, Hebrews says, he gave an offering, something better than his brother, and he was approved. And so what happened? God rewarded him, right? He got more flocks, something, some, a bigger responsibility from the Lord. No, Abel gave his best to the Lord and died, killed by his own brother. He, he, doesn't, even get, he doesn't even get a speaking line in the Bible. And yet, today he speaks to us by faith. So will we listen to him? As we look at the third and fourth humans, here's what we're gonna see. Number one, pain and promise. Number two, work and worship. Number three, sin and separation. And number four, better blood. Let me pray for us. Father, we, we praise you that you love us enough that you would give us the blessing of your word so that we might know you, 
so that we might believe in you, so that we might trust in you, and so that even today we might listen to the testimony of those who have walked by faith, those who have trusted in the reality of Christ, who have trusted in your provision, trusted in your care. And and even now their testimony endures because they endure with you. And so would you help us to believe these things? Would you help us to believe what is true? And we need your help. Would you lay us bare? Would we not withhold an inch of our life from the testimony of your word? Would we... Would, would we run from sin and would we look to you? And we love you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we, we begin with number one, pain and promise. So I, I want to I start with a little uh, biblical theology, which is really just a fancy way of saying the story of the Bible. Um, and I, I believe any, any understanding of God's word always has Genesis 3 very much at the center particularly after the fall of Adam and Eve. Uh, so we see there's, there's the curse of sin, right? There's pain in work. There's pain in childbearing. And God banishes them. Banishes them. He removes them from their perfect home in Eden. Sin has destroyed their lives with God. All seems lost. But then there's hope. There's the promises, uh, promise of Genesis 3.15 that, that, that tells us about the offspring of the woman. It says this, I'll put... I will put hostility between you and the woman. He's speaking, this is God speaking to the serpent. I'll put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. And the rest of the scriptures is going to set up this long form drama, good versus evil, the seed of the woman versus the seed of the serpent. And as, as the reader, as the one who's been, who we, we get to partake in God's word, uh, we're tracking God's unfolding revelation from generation to generation. There, there's a growing longing as we read, an expectation for the seed of the woman, the one promised uh, in that very first promise, that very first preaching of the gospel here in Genesis 3, that there will be one born. And with the boot stomp of his heel, he will crush the head of the serpent. And just newsflash, it's Jesus. If you didn't know that, it's Jesus. It's spoiler alert. This is the Bible. I want you to know the end. I don't want us to wait. Uh, it's Jesus, his cross, his empty tomb. That's what delivered the fatal wound to Satan, the death blow. And one day when Jesus comes again, he will hurl Satan and his demons into the lake of fire. This isn't the stuff of legends. That's a real day. And we long for that day. And we say of that day, come Lord Jesus. But even now, until that day, we see this drama playing out all around us. Depravity all around, evil on display. The seed of the serpent held up against God's grace, evidenced in his people, his children, his offspring. Jesus said to the Pharisees, he said, you're of your father, the devil. But to those who come by faith, he said that he has made us heirs together with Christ. He's made us children of the promise. So even now, when we read the history of God's people, beginning here in Genesis even, as the reader, we're, we're, we enter into the drama, the heartbreak of all this. Um, and with each story, each new person born, each genealogy that we read and that we just kind of gloss over, the question begs to be asked, when will he come? When will the serpent be crushed? Who is the answer to this proclamation of good news that was delivered to our, our first parents, Adam and Eve? 
And in every conflict, the seed of the serpent, the work of Satan is out to destroy the seed, out to destroy the seed of the woman. And so in today's story, this ages long wait begins. This is where it all starts. And it begins with the first ever birth. I have to imagine it begins with the first morning sickness, uh, the first baby bump, uh, the first ever human birth pains, the first, the first little baby alien face, uh, the first umbilical cord, and the first horrified parents, I have to imagine, who have probably seen animal procreation, but they did not get the benefit of the Miracle of Life video that we saw in Freshman Biology. Um, I, if you didn't see it, then God bless you. Um, and they didn't even get any coaching from their parents. Uh, this is how it was for us. Uh, I, I'd, I'd love to know what God informed them about and what they knew. Um, but nonetheless, what a miracle, right? I mean, anyone who's had a child or witnessed their, their own child being born can attest to this. You have such, there's such limitless hope that you have for your own child. You imagine what they'll be. Uh, surely they'll be better than all my foibles, all my missteps. There's such overwhelming joy and anticipation and for Adam and Eve, this anticipation is just cranked up to 11. Still in the shock of being removed from the Garden of Eden, they, they have the, the voice of God still, I think, ringing in their ears that, that when God told them, the seed of the woman will crush the seed of the serpent. So you wanna talk about high expectations for a baby. And so here, here he comes, here, here he comes in, in verse one of Genesis four. The man was intimate with his wife Eve and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. She said, I have made a male child with the Lord's help. This is like the, I did it. I, this happened. The first baby boy is born. And the question has to be going, is this the serpent crusher? Is this the offspring God promised? Eve's rejoicing here. This, this is kind of like creation language. I did it. I, I, with the Lord's help, I've made a male. I've made a baby. Only a chapter after the fall, here we are. We're being introduced to the first male offspring. And as the reader, you're almost putting the pieces together. You know, at Christmas we sing, Mary, did you know that your baby boy, and we, all the things that, uh, that we think many of, many of them, Mary did know, um, because the Holy Spirit told her. Uh, but uh, but I, can you imagine the song, Eve, did you know? Um, it wouldn't be as fun of a song. Uh, but the reality is she didn't know. And I, I think as Adam and Eve held their baby, they had the hope of a promise, but I, I just think that they, there's no way they could have known how deep the stain of their sin would run. And there's, there's a lot of Bible left, so this is not getting all wrapped up in Genesis 4. There's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot left to unfold. There's a lot of waiting that will occur. This is a long-range promise. So number two, work and worship. So we see uh, in verse two, we get baby two. Verse two, she also gave birth to his brother, Abel. Notice Abel doesn't quite get the intro Cain does, does he? Uh, typical second born problems. Uh, Eve probably didn't finish his baby book either. Um, but here it is. The first family, father, mother, sibling boys, of course, Eve's gonna continue having babies. The Bible only tells us the story of, of one more, but it does tell us that there are more to come, that they do have many more, um, and because they're fulfilling God's call to them to be fruitful, to multiply, to subdue the earth, to fill it. 
Um, but our, our story today is just about the first two. So it continues on in verse two about Abel. Now Abel became a shepherd of flocks, but Cain worked the ground. So these are, these are the two family businesses, right? Uh, Abel is a shepherd, just like Adam and Eve had dominion over the animals in the garden. Uh, and, and Cain was a farmer. He worked the cursed ground uh, by the sweat of his brow, just like God had uh, told his, his father, Adam. And so there's still nothing intrinsically wrong about any of this. These are both good and noble professions. Farming isn't the lesser occupation. Um, and there's nothing ultimately glorious about shepherding. In fact, Abel's not even gonna get to come make steaks for anyone yet. That doesn't come until after the flood. Um, nobody's eating meat yet. <clears throat> so he would have... He would have been tending, his anim- tending the animals and what would he have been getting from them? Their produce, uh, their, their milk, their wool, their skins for clothing. Um, but here's where it gets interesting in verse three. In the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also presented an offering, some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. So they're both bringing offerings, each one bringing some of what they produce. Uh, but we're told in Verse four, that the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. So we got two men, two offerings, and only Abel's is accepted. And this is exactly what the the passage in Hebrews 11 tells us, isn't it? That by faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was approved as a righteous man because God approved his gifts. So the question, it begs the question, why? Why did God not approve Cain's, but did approve Abel's? Uh, and there are countless understandings of this. Commentators have made several arguments. Um, it's maybe, maybe because Abel's was a blood sacrifice. After all, an animal sacrifice was the model that had been given them in the garden when God killed an animal and clothed uh, and got rid of the grain covering, that, the fig that had been made uh, from Adam and Eve and gave them clothings uh, uh, made from animal skin. Um, or maybe it's because Cain's offering came out of the cursed ground. Um, but neither of those arguments seem all that convincing to me. I, I, yes, Hebrews does say without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. But we also know that God commanded grain offerings throughout the Old Testament from his people. So there's nothing inherently wrong with an offering of grain. Uh, But still, Hebrews tells us Abel's sacrifice was better. So I think this leaves us with a couple of options. Uh, Number one, either Adam and Eve uh, or, or God himself had given specific instructions to the boys as to how they were to worship, how they were to honor the Lord. Maybe they were only supposed to bring a blood sacrifice. Or maybe they were commanded to bring the very first of what they produced. And we see that Abel brought the firstborn of his flock. This would have been a sign of trust. I'm gonna bring you my first lamb before I know if any more will be born. Um, Maybe maybe that's what happened. We We don't hear those instructions being given, but maybe they were. Maybe Cain heard those instructions and said, I'll just do what I want. So maybe his action was wrong. Maybe there was something disobedient in the way that he gave the offering and what he brought to the Lord. Or number two, maybe his action was right, but his heart was wrong. Maybe Cain heard the command and knew what he was supposed to do, and he did it. But though he obeyed, he despised, or he thought wrongly about God. Maybe in his heart, he thought God was cruel. After all, God had had removed his parents 
uh, from the Garden of Eden. Or, or maybe, maybe he just hated his brother. Abel's always joyful. He's always telling me what he learned in his quiet time. He's always talking about how he loves God and how every time he sees a new lamb born, he rejoices and how great God is. And it makes me so angry. He thinks he's so perfect. And, and he knows, and, and he's everything that I think I should be, that I know I should be, but I hate him for it. Whatever Cain's problem is, God wasn't getting him on a technicality. God wasn't hiding his will from Cain. No, later the Lord's going to say, Cain, won't you be accepted if you just do what is right? Cain knew what was right. We may not know exactly what was wrong with Cain's sacrifice, but Cain knew. We're gonna look more closely at this next week in verse six of Hebrews 11. We're gonna learn that without faith, it's impossible to please God. So if it's impossible to please God without faith, and Abel offered the better sacrifice and was approved by faith, and if Cain's sacrifice was not accepted by God, what must we assume that Cain's sacrifice was not done in? Faith, right. So we can put these things together. This is the testimony of God's word in here in Hebrews 11. Cain's sacrifice, whether it was done disobediently or whether it was just done in, in, in joyless drudgery, wrong thinking about God, his sacrifice was not offered in faith either way. It wasn't done in trusting God's character. Cain was rejected because he didn't come in faith. And so we stop and ask, are, are we in danger of this? Are you in danger of the approach of Cain? Do you think things sometimes like, God is gracious, I don't have to obey that command. He'll, he'll be gracious to me. Or do we think when we come before him, God, look what I did. I hope you'll appreciate it. Be so, be so proud of me, God. You'll accept me because of this great thing I did for you. Do we, do we come in that way? What, is the, what does the Lord always remind his people? The Old Testament is replete with those whom are told that they brought their sacrifices, their offerings, their festivals, all for God. And still he said, I hate this trampling of my courts. He said to obey is better than sacrifice. Jesus quotes Isaiah saying that they, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So even our sacrifices, our lives of worship, these are, these are outworkings. They are not the substance. We worship not to please God, but because, but because Jesus pleased God for us. We serve God not to gain Christ, but rather we come through Christ. Any other way of coming to him is meaningless. It is not a faith. And so here we see two offerings Abel has faith in God and as God has revealed himself and he's approved. And then Cain, no faith, no obedience and he is rejected. Cain, maybe Cain went through the motions and the Lord saw straight through it. Maybe he looked exactly the same as Abel. I think this is possible. Maybe, maybe Cain, if he were among us, would be a regular church attender. Maybe he put money in the offering. Maybe he even sang the songs, but, but God saw through to his heart. God, knew, God knows that Cain is about Cain and not God. In fact, 1 John 3 is gonna tell us that, uh, that Cain is about his father, the evil one. So here we have the seed of the woman, Abel, alongside the seed of the serpent. That's not exactly what you're hoping for if you're starting out with babies, right, mom? That's not what you're looking for with your first two. 
So this leads to number three, sin and separation. Look at the end of verse five. Cain was furious and he looked despondent. So this is the beginning of Cain's spiral here. Uh, this is, and I think it's one of the most moving parts of the story too. God, God could have crushed Cain in this moment, but he's patient. He pleads with him. He draws near to him. In verse six, the, the, then the Lord said to Cain, why are you furious? And why do you look despondent? If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? He's saying, literally, this is saying, if you do what is right, won't your face be lifted up? All you need to do is trust me. Even your anger at me can be forgiven. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in the Lord. Shouldn't we all hear this accommodation? Are you soaked in anger or in depression? What will lift you from it? It is not to wait for the circumstance to change to your liking. No, the Lord is saying you must do what is right. Follow the Lord in your discouragement. Draw near to him and remember what is true of him. That he is near to those who seek him. And then like every good father, God gives Cain a little warning here. A big warning. He's gonna tell him to be careful. Be careful. This is gonna destroy you. He tells him, but if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. He's saying sin is a beast. It's like a wild, hungry animal looking for food, And what happens when a wild lion catches its prey? It doesn't just wound it, does it? No, it destroys it. It tears it limb from limb. And this is is what Cain's sin, his anger toward God and toward his brother is about to do to him. If you don't repent, God is saying you've invited a wild beast to lay outside your door. It wants you. It's waiting for you. It smells you. It's crouched and ready. And when you crack the door for the beast, it wants to come in and devour. And we must be on guard against this same destructive force, right? Or it will take us down like Cain. This is why we must not justify our sin. It's, sin is not our pet. The, the flowers, uh, Lawson and Caroline and their family, they got, they got a puppy this week. And puppies are amazing. Uh, they are incredible. Uh, dogs are amazing, amazing animals. If you don't like dogs, um, if you're not amazed by dogs, then you're wrong. Like it's, it, the dogs are incredible. We, we, they live in our house and they're like friends. Like they have a relationship with us and they're, I mean, they're incredible uh, that God made dogs that we would have as companions. Uh, but lions, not good house pets. You can justify having one there but, and you can even explain how you've got them under control. But you know what happens? Even lion tamers get eaten by lions. All you're justifying, it won't close the mouth of the lion. It won't shut up the mouth of the beast that is sin. This is why we're exhorted to flee sin. God is saying to him, you better rule over it. How is he gonna rule over it? He's gonna rule over it by not entertaining it, by confessing his sin before the Lord by thinking rightly about the only one who can actually destroy the beast. 
And just like his parents, Adam and Eve, rather than fleeing sin, Cain flees God. Notice Cain doesn't even reply to God. No response, no brokenness, no dialogue, no acknowledgement of his sin, not, not a word. The Lord says, you want to feel better? Repent and come to me. But instead of laying bare before God, Cain just says to himself, I know what will make me feel better. And in verse 8, this is what he does. Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. This, This has to be one of the saddest moments in the Bible, right? The firstborn, the first son, born to mankind's first mom and dad, murdered the second one. Two boys, two great hopes. And now because of sin, it's, we're, we're down to zero. But why? why? How does sin get to this point? First John 3 says of Cain, That because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Because Abel was everything that Cain wanted to be but wasn't. There's a reason why when we are in sin, we avoid community. We avoid being around the people that are living and walking in righteousness. Because the thing that we need most is to be reminded that that's the blessed life, the life that follows Jesus. But we don't want to be around them. In the Count of Monte Cristo, which uh, the uh, the movie, I haven't read the book, so I just I can only go off the movie, uh, but I assume it's the same. Uh, Fernand, uh, the the powerful but but evil former friend of Edmond Dantes, at the end, out of jealousy, when he tries to kill Edmond, Edmond says, "Why, Fernand?" And Fernand replies, "Because you're the son of a clerk. I'm not supposed to want to be you." Sin hates righteousness. When Jesus comes on the scene, what do they want to do to him? They want to kill him. Evil seeks to wipe his righteousness off the map. John, John chapter three, uh, verse 19 says, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light. And so here we are, four people into the Bible And sin has devoured all of them. We've seen God's commands rejected. We've seen attempts at hiding and covering up sin. We've seen faithless worship. And now, out of rage and jealousy, murder. Four people in. But guess what? God's light will never be put out. The seed of the serpent wants to stamp out the future Messiah, but he will never do it. Abel's blood cries out for justice. And through his unborn younger brother, Seth, justice will come. And so lastly, we need number four, better blood. Cain's response is horrific in verse nine. The Lord asks him, He says, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's guardian? This is just straight evil, right? Cain has made the full heel turn now. And we've got the first straight up lie. 
I don't know where he is. Yes, you do. You just left his dead body. And the astounding statement, am I my brother's keeper? He's asking God questions as though he should question God. But what a dumb question. You just killed your brother, your partner in keeping the earth, and you killed him. God wasn't asking because he didn't know the answer of where Abel was. No, he knew. I believe the grief of God is coming out here. He says, what have you done? He said, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. His brother's blood condemns him. You know, many people speak of Cain and Abel as as an archetype of how sin destroys human relationships. And I, I think... If we, if we think of our own story, <clears throat> your story, my story, uh, we want to be able in the story, um, but often we aren't. We're certainly not God in the story. Um, but, but often we are Cain, and I think we all once were Cain. Like Cain, sin crouched at our door, at yours and mine, and, and all too often we opened it We listened to the voice of the serpent. And like Cain, before Jesus, our sinful, jealous, hateful, murderous, serpentine, I'll even say, hearts, have they fractured our relationships? They fractured our relationship, our our any any fellowship we might know with one another and with the Lord. Before Jesus opened our eyes, we hated the light. We hated to walk into ourselves and we despised others who did. And we surely deserved no better than Cain. Cain was made, we read in in the progressing verses, that Cain was made to be a wanderer on the earth. But we deserve to be wanderers. We deserve eternal wandering. We earned no rest. We, like Cain, should forever carry the mark of shame and judgment on us. In fact, our, our deserving end would have been the same lake of fire that the serpent, that Satan himself would be cast into. But guess what? The seed of the woman did come. Jesus did emerge. He did bring you by his grace through faith to himself. And by his stripes, you were healed. And praise God, the God of peace, will soon crush Satan underneath your feet, Romans 16 says. He took your jealousy, your murderous thoughts, and now by his death and resurrection, the Father calls you close. Because God granted you faith, you don't have to wander like Cain. And and listen to what the scripture says that that you get now. At the end of Hebrews 12, uh, the end of our, the next chapter after the one we're walking through, uh, the author of Hebrews sums it up like this. He's saying that you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid to draw near, and here's why. Instead, you have come, and this is Hebrews 12, starting at 22. Instead, you have come to the Mount Zion, to the city of the living God. He's saying he's welcomed you in. The heavenly Jerusalem, to myriads of angels, a festive gathering. This is, this is festive. This is rejoicing. This isn't fearing. To the assembly of the firstborn whose names have been written in heaven. To a judge who is God of all. To the spirits of righteous people made perfect. And to Jesus, 
the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, which says better things than the blood of Abel. This is what is yours. The blood of Abel called for justice. The blood of Abel testified to us about the suffering life of faith. Oh, but the faith of Abel, the faith of Abel knew there was something better coming. The faith of Abel trusted God for who he was. The faith of Abel believed in the promise, believed that a serpent crusher was coming. The faith of Abel points us to better blood. The blood of Jesus, the mediator of the new promise, his blood says something way better. Can I just tell you for a minute what the the blood of Jesus says to us? Jesus' blood speaks to you and to me. Mercy. Cleansing. If you feel like you have gone too far, Jesus' blood says no. It's not too late. His blood says you cannot outrun the cross. His blood says, however far you think you've gone, he went farther for you. His blood says that he took the Father's justice for you, that he was plunged into the grave, that that's that's how far he was willing to go so that you might know forgiveness, so that you might not wander forever, but that you might rest. If you're despondent today, if you're discouraged by the same cycles of sin, Hear this, the blood of Jesus says to you, freedom. That you're no longer slave to sin. The blood of Jesus says to you, peace. Jesus' blood says you're free from the sin that that crouches at your door, that waits for you. You can walk up right now because the lion of the tribe of Judah is with you. That beast can't take you down. You're, you're, You're not under sin's sway. His blood says you can stop looking at pornography. His blood says that you can stop blowing up in anger at your family. You can stop lying at work because the blood of Jesus. His blood tells you that you can walk in love toward those who who are different than you, towards those who you want to share the gospel with. You can walk in love toward your Muslim neighbor. You can walk in love with your gay coworker. Why? Because you're free from the power of sin and death. You can do these things because of the blood of Jesus. And maybe, maybe you feel so alone, like no one cares for you. Like no one even knows the real you and that if they did, they wouldn't like it. Jesus' blood tells you today, you're accepted. You're accepted. He says, he says you're accepted because of me. He says that we are his family. You are his brother, his sisters, Jesus is saying. His blood says, I know you every bit and I love you. I've called you by name. Because of the blood, you can stop envying the life and the gifts of others. Jesus' blood says, you will be in my family forever. Your name is written in heaven. Jesus says, I am not like Cain. I am my brother's keeper, and I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Will you trust in him today? Will you trust him to forgive you? 
We trust him to walk in freedom from sin. It is what we need. The blood is what we need. We must rest in what Christ has done. Will we listen to our brother Abel? He's alive today more than ever. And his faith is testifying. I think if he were here this morning, he would have sang right along with us. He would have said, there is nothing stronger than the wonder working power of the blood. It calls us sons and daughters. We are ransomed by the father through the blood. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood. Let's pray. Father, we praise you. We praise you that not because of anything that we could earn, not because we are smarter or better, more enlightened, more, just more eager, you've not accepted us because of these things, but rather we are the product of your great grace. And you have granted us faith that we might love you, that we might follow you, and that we might walk in power not slave anymore to sin, but servants of the Most High God, children, sons and daughters. Would you help us to believe this? Father, where our faith is weak, would you remind us that it is not the potency of our faith, but the potency of you, the strength that you provide that strengthens us today, that we might walk in the faith that you provide. So help us. We love you, and we pray this in Christ's name, amen.